Amen. Well, we're uh, reading a very familiar verse. You have it memorized, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, where all this began from verse 9. Uh, Pray then in this way, Jesus teaches his disciples, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, yesterday and today, down in Gilbert, uh, they are celebrating the Scottish Highland Games. And uh, a few years ago, I was at uh, the games in, in uh, Las Vegas. And I was shopping around, and I, I overheard these two ladies strike up a friendly conversation. And things were going pretty well. But all of a sudden, it became very unfriendly when each other asked what clan they were from. One said, oh, I'm a Campbell. And it got very icy when the other woman turned around and left. I'm a McDonald. You, you have to understand what happened between the Campbells and the McDonald's back in uh, 1692. 1692, right? Uh, King William of Orange came to the throne. Uh, King James the second or the seventh, depending how you want to count the numbers, uh, was ousted out. James was a Catholic. Uh, William was a Protestant. And William of Orange was trying to establish his authority in the highlands of Scotland when many of the highlanders were still supporting the Catholic King James. The McDonald's of Glencoe had been Jacobites, and, and so, William of Orange had signed that a regiment was to go, led by Robert Campbell, Captain Robert Campbell, to go to Glencoe. The Campbells came for two weeks. For two whole weeks, they enjoyed the hospitality of the McDonald's. They ate, they drank, they feasted, they danced, they had a great time together. But then early, early, about 5 o'clock in the morning on February 13th, Robert Campbell got his orders, and he ordered all the Campbells, or all the McDonald's, slaughtered. Men, women, and children died. Now, what made that so treacherous was not only was it unsuspected, the Campbells came under the guise of friendship. They enjoyed the hospitality of the McDonald's. This was against Highland Code. You don't show hospitality and then are being shown hospitality and then turn and kill your host. That's just rude. <laughs> now we've all been hurt. And perhaps we feel justified when we hold grudges. The Scots know how to hold a grudge. 310 years of holding a grudge against the Campbells. 
I, I, I know uh, some Scots to this very day who will not eat Campbell's soup. But Jesus teaches us not only to ask for forgiveness for ourselves. In this petition, he prays, he tells us that we need to pray that we would be also given the ability to forgive others. We need forgiveness, don't we? But we also need to be able to forgive. Forgiveness is tied with mercy. Perhaps you're familiar with the Merchant of Venice, Shakespeare's play, Portia, Warren Shylock, that mercy is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. And earthly powers doth then show us like as gods when mercy seasons justice. The forgiven are to show forgiveness. Now, my friends, listen, if conscience is plagued by a sense of sin, what is better than forgiveness? Hmm? You, you might remember that account in Mark chapter 2 when certain friends of a paralytic man uh, actually tore up the roof of a house to get their friend to see Jesus. They knew Jesus had the power to heal their friend and, and to relieve that man of the paralysis that crippled him. But you remember, as they lowered that man before Jesus, what did Jesus do? He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Rather than healing his body right then and there, Jesus healed that man's soul through forgiveness. And as you read that passage in Mark, you don't see that paralytic being complaining that that's all he got. He wasn't disappointed because that was the greater need. Now, of course, Jesus did heal his body, too. But nevertheless, what we're seeing is that earthly blessings are great and wonderful, but they're only temporary. Forgiveness. Forgiveness brings not only God's love to us, it brings heaven itself into our souls, doesn't it? In, in Psalm 103, David blesses God, saying, that he has pardoned all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. David equated forgiveness with being crowned with loving kindness. Forgiveness causes your youth to be renewed. Satisfies your years. Forgiveness takes you out of the dark pits of depression and makes life satisfying. Forgiveness of sin empowers us even to face death with, with boldness. The unpardoned sinner cannot face death so peaceably as the Christian. We know that all our sins, the total sum of all our sins, have been dealt with at God's bar of justice and that I am acquitted. The forgiveness of sins is the ticket then into heaven, isn't it? No guilty sinner can enter into those holy, through those holy gates. And when God shows forgiveness, and then he forgives all our debts, his attributes, are they not marvelously displayed so that we come to know him better? 
Think of, of what God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, where God declared the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity. Part of God's name is this is one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Beloved, if your heart ever trembles under the weight of guilt, remember that God is not stingy when it comes to forgiveness. We read here that he abounds in grace. He is rich in grace. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Don't you just love that word lavish? He didn't just pour out a little trinkle of grace, a little bit of love and a little bit of forgiveness and mercy. No, he lavished a downpouring of grace and mercy and forgiveness. How rich is our God? We see also in, 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 in forgiveness, God's omnipotent power. Now, I really can't imagine such a power that calls things into being by nothing but a spoken word. That's, that's an amazing power. But the forgiveness of sin is an act of even a greater power than that. Consider that it took nothing less than God becoming a man to purchase the forgiveness of sins through his blood. That's why Moses said, in Numbers chapter 14, when he prayed that God would forgive the people of their iniquities, it says, but now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great. As he's praying for forgiveness, let the power of the Lord be great. Forgiveness is the great power of God. Make no mistake about it, my friend. God delights to show mercy to all who would receive it. And it's knowing that blessing, knowing the riches of his mercy and of his grace in our lives that enables us that also to forgive. Uh, we go back to Genesis and we are told there in, that we were, that man was made in the image of God. What, what, what does that mean, that we're made in the image of God? Well, it means that, that we have certain attributes that reflect who God is. As an individual, we are to reflect who God is in our lives. But of course, sin corrupted and disfigured us so that now we are selfish and self-centered. Isn't that what lies at the root of every sin? Self? Now, why do we set up idols? And why, why, do we, why do we worship idols? Because we want to trust and love a God of our own making, right? We're still in control. Anyone who worships an idol is in control of what they worship. Why do we disobey our parents? Or why, why do people murder or commit adultery? Or why do they steal or lie or covet? Because again, we want to assert ourselves and our wills. We want everything to satisfy our cravings as though we somehow or another are the center of the universe. That's what sin has done. It corrupted us to that kind of low selfishness. 
But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24 tells us through the forgiveness of sins, we can put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness and, and, and truth. Or Peter put it like this, for by these promises, he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become, and hear this, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. That doesn't mean that you're going to become a god. That's not what it's saying here. But that you, as a son of God, begin now to share the, the nature of God, the attributes of God, and love and mercy. Through forgiveness, we hear that God puts away our sins. And he begins then also a process whereby he renews us into the very image of Christ, the God-man. See, God just doesn't forgive us of sin, which is wonderful. He, he is renewing us. When we're forgiven of our sins, what we hear is that we become partakers of the divine nature to reflect God's own attributes and character in our own beings. And so, again, we're never more like God than when we forgive. He is abounding in loving kindness. He forgives transgressions. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, some see that as a, as a conditional statement. God will only forgive us as we forgive others. But that's frightening, isn't it? If God was to forgive us only in that condition, who would among us be forgiven? It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, dialogue that, that takes place in Luke chapter 17. Jesus told his disciples there, now listen, he said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day, saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, hearing that statement, what do you think the disciples said? What they said was, Lord, increase our faith. Now, why would they say that? <laughs> because forgiving like Jesus is saying, to forgive someone seven times, and they come to you seven times in one day, to forgive like this is rather impossible for us, isn't it? And so they prayed that their faith might be increased so that they could forgive as Jesus is saying. And, and that's the summation of what Jesus is teaching us how to pray here. We're asking God to forgive us so that we could become forgiving of others. Do you get this? I, again, I think this becomes very clear in another parable that Jesus said in Matthew 18. Where in that, that parable, you'll know it very well, a slave owed a huge amount of money to his master. And his master called him in and the slave begged to have his debt forgiven him, a debt like a million dollars he could not repay, and the master forgave him the debt. And then what does he do? The slave goes out. He finds another slave who owed him $1,000. 
That, that other slave begged him, please forgive me, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you when I can. No, send him to prison. Now the shocking bit of that story is that the first slave demanded payment when he had been forgiven. And of course, when the master heard of it, what did he say to that slave? You should, uh, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Mercy should engender mercy. Forgiveness should cause us to be forgiving. You know the golden rule. You know the golden rule, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. Do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you, right? That's a great rule. That's a great rule to live by. Treat others as you'd want to be treated. But here in the fifth petition... Those who are filled with grace, there's even something greater. Treat others as you have been treated by God. Love others as Christ has loved you. Back to that parable, that Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. And Jesus then applies the moral and says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart, isn't that, you can say, I forgive you, but from the heart? You say, again, the point of the fifth petition is that you're to mirror God's attitude towards others. As a partaker of divine nature, we are to be forgiven as we have been forgiven. If you can't show mercy on people who are sinners like yourself, why should you expect God to show you mercy? If you have a hard time forgiving others of their sins, that are the things that they've done to you, remember, friends, remember your own sin, which, again, God was quite happy to forgive. Your sins are ever so much greater. Your offenses against God are greater than what anyone can ever do to you. Now, having said that, again, if forgiveness was an easy thing, we wouldn't need to pray this fifth petition, would we? If you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been stabbed in the back, if you've ever been used, you know, you know how hard it is to forgive. You know, mental hospitals are filled with people who have been incredibly hurt, abused, people who have been used, betrayed, and crushed, and they can't get over it because they don't have the power to forgive. Marriages have been destroyed because one or the other has done something like perhaps adultery, or has said something hurtful, spiteful, or stupid, and the other just can't let it go. When a person betrays us in sin, bitterness creeps in, and it makes us suspicious. In order to protect ourselves, we say, oh, I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to forget them. But it isn't really forgiveness if you keep bringing it up, is it? Now, my friends, we should not be unwise. Sometimes we need to see if repentance is genuine, but we're never to be harsh with the sinner. Micah 7, 19 tells us that when God forgives, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And of course, the point of that is that when God forgives a debt, when God forgives a sin, it is dealt with once for all, and it is never 
ever, ever, never brought up again. And God never deals with us suspiciously, wondering if we're going to betray him again because he knows that we're going to sin again. He forgives 70 times 7. And this is the kind of forgiveness that is to flow from us. Colossians chapter 3 says, As to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love and forgiveness, patience and gentleness and humility and compassion, all these things go together. And Paul says that you have these in you because you have been chosen by God. So make your stand in the grace of God so that you can show this grace to others. Now, again, in ourselves, we have an inability to forgive. But remember, Moses said that forgiveness was a demonstration of God's omnipotent power. And so what is, so faith, increase our faith. Faith takes hold of God's power. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. Or to put it in another way, without Christ, you're not going to be able to forgive. But in Christ, you can do all things, including forgive. That's why it's necessary to pray this fifth petition. Help us, O Lord, to forgive our debtors. Because we've already prayed, Lord, feed me with Christ. You still have a hard time forgiving? I'm going to point you to the cross. The cross is the great fertilizer of love and spiritual growth. If you find yourself confronted with an obstinate person who abuses you, who hurts you, who stabs you in the back, who continues to frighten you with words or with actions, you have a hard time forgiving them. I get it. Go to the cross, my friend. Go to the cross. The cross reminds us of our own sin, how we have transgressed God's law. And worse than that, it shows how we have wounded God's love. As a Christian, when we sin, we are wounding God's love and grieving the Holy Spirit. We have a great debt to owe God. But the cross says that the love of God has paid that debt. Then, through the cross, it puts others into proper light. I can see them as they also are, as sinners, perhaps even enslaved to sin. When I consider that at the foot of the cross, and I begin to feel compassion on them, this fifth petition teaches me to pray for them that God would also forgive them. Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When I come to the cross, I learn to pray like that. I can pray like that from the heart because by faith, I'm united to this Christ. The fifth petition then Ask God to help us be a channel of his grace to others. And do you see that as a great privilege? I hope you do. Do you find it a privilege to show God's grace to other people? See, again, the characteristic of sin is that it turns us inward. 
It makes us self-centered. But grace turns us outward. Grace turns us to looking to God, looking to others. Remember what, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he said something interesting. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, we're first to love God, but showing love to our neighbor is the way to show our love to God. Forgiveness is the greatest act of love that anyone can show. Well, I'm going to close. Homer, you might know Homer. He wrote the Iliad. In the Iliad, he said, Revenge is sweeter far by flowing honey. Or revenge is sweeter than, than flowing honey. Revenge is sweet. And it's in our sinful nature to seek vengeance, isn't it? Oh, but... Christian, do you not know your privilege? And do you not know that as those who are forgiven, it is your privilege to turn away from that sinful nature, to not drink in such sweetness, but to be like God and show grace to other debtors? Everyone needs grace. Even those who hurt you, even those who despitefully use you, they need grace. Those who, who would seek to destroy your life, they need grace, don't they? When we pray the Lord's Prayer with all its petitions, we pray in conjunction with one another. The first three petitions, we pray that God would be glorified in the world as his gospel comes in power, as his kingdom spreads. But in the last three petitions, we pray that God would use us to be the instruments to bring in his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? The more we forgive others the debts against us, the more your grace will shine. Uh, one of my favorite saints in the medieval time was Francis of Assisi. And, and Francis had a prayer which he said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. That prayer is nothing but an expanded version of the fifth petition. Christ was reviled in the world. But he didn't revile in return, did he? What made him shut his mouth? He trusted himself to Almighty God. He trusted himself into the hands of his father. He knew that it was his father that gave him that bitter cup to drink so he could pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We need to understand ourselves that all things are in the hands of our father and that he uses adversity. He uses even the sins of other people to sanctify you. Therefore, don't hold on to the hurt and and. and and nurse it. 310, that's a long time to hold a grudge. Let the candles go. Let, let your foe go in forgiveness. Remember Joseph? He forgave his brothers of all the things they did to him. 
And the ground for his being able to forgive them is found in his words. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Can you believe that for your own life? If God controls everything for your good, then don't hold on to injuries. If we would look above the instruments of hurt to the hand that wields all things, our hearts would be freed of vengeful thoughts. And so as we close today, do you know God's grace? I'm sure you do. If you have been forgiven, then know that you've been forgiven in order to show God's grace to others. Forgive as you have been forgiven, even according to the grace that has been lavished into your heart. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we have sinned against you so many different ways in ways that nobody knows about but you. We have done wicked things and thought wicked thoughts. And Lord, we have been hurtful to others and we have been hurt. And, and Lord, in this world, <laughs> we're nothing but a mess. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And we thank you that we have it in Christ not just in small measures, but in great abundance. And we thank you, O oh Lord, we thank you. But Father, as we hear that we are to forgive others, we know the difficulty, and even the, our own hearts begin to rise in anxiety because, O oh Lord, there are those who have hurt us, and it's hard to forgive. But, O oh Lord, help us to see what you have done in forgiving us, that we might show that same grace to others. And help us, O oh Lord, to live according to this way. That as you forgive us our debts, help us to forgive our debtors. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.